Go ahead and open to Daniel chapter 1. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. I, we're actually planning um, for junior high service. We're, we're doing a series through the book of Daniel. But this morning I wanted to just share with you guys just one specific text at the beginning of the book um, when it comes to it. Because one of the things um, when it comes to God's story through the Bible you, you see all these different books that are put together um, and interesting stories that reveal the same God. But the story of Daniel is one of the most unique stories in the Bible for several reasons. Um, it's a powerful story um, as a whole, not just for necessarily the common stories. Many of you probably know the story of Daniel in the lion's den or when Daniel's friends were put in the furnace for not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar. Those are, those are CM Hall of Famers, amen? You know... But the story of Daniel in itself as a whole is probably one of the most unique and powerful stories in the Bible for several reasons. Um, because of one, it's set up and where it takes place. It isn't in the promised land of Israel, but rather it's in what is considered one of the most wicked kingdoms to ever like be on earth, which is Babylon, is where it takes place. And not only that, what's interesting about the book itself is that the first part of it is written in Hebrew, and the last part of it is written in Aramaic, which this is what it means that, or sorry, it was the other way. Sorry, got to correct myself. Everybody go, yo bad, yo bad. First part's in Aramaic, and the second's in Hebrew, and this is why it's so unique. First part of it was written towards an audience that didn't know God to reveal God, and the second half of the book was written towards God's people to encourage them in it. And so... Imagine a book written in two different languages going towards different people. You don't see books like that very often, but you see that here in the book of Daniel and in the Bible. And what's interesting enough is that um, there are many different themes. There are many different people. This isn't just a story about Daniel. This is a story about God. This is a story about God that even amidst what everything was happening, that he was the Lord of heaven and earth that he was the king over all nations, and that his kingdom would last forever. Amen? And when you see that, um, I want you guys to go ahead and go to chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to go right from the beginning. And this is what God's word says. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord... Delivered Jehakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now among those who were chosen were from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Meshel, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And when you look down at verse 17, it also gives a little description to them. It says, to these four young men, God gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. 
and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Can we say amen to God's word? You know, one of the things that I appreciate about the Bible is that when it comes to the story of God's people, it doesn't shy away from difficult stories. It doesn't shy away from human failure. It doesn't shy away from when people make mistakes. And what I mean by that is this, is that um, it's not a book that just lists out how to be perfect. It's not just a book that highlights perfect people. It doesn't just highlight strong aptitude, you know, like wonderful people, but it, it just highlights God and humanity in all of it, good, bad, and ugly, and everything that it entails. And one thing I would just say about the book of Daniel is when you're talking about a messy, kind of fallen apart, broken story in the Bible, look no further than the story of Daniel. You see that right from the very two verses where it says, immediately it starts by saying in the third year of the reign of the king of Judah that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took siege to Israel, to God's people. Now, if any of you have had the opportunity to read maybe a little earlier in the Bible where it talks about the Exodus. How many of you have ever heard of the Exodus before? You know, where Moses led the people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. See, in that, that was the establishing of the nation of Israel. And what God said to them was, I'm calling you to be a light to the world so people will know me and worship me. And because you're my people, I'm calling you to follow my ways. And if you don't, if you turn from me and you harden your hearts and you push away, if you rebel and you just keep rebelling, I'm going to remove that light. I'm going to remove you from that position. And this is a people that were meant to lead the world to Jesus. But what ended up happening over decades and decades and over dozens of kings is that they went and they worshiped idols. They went and they lived their own way. They committed um, what is said to be just un, just despicable sins. And in fact, the very people that were meant to lead God's people to him were actually at the forefront of leading the world into sin away from God. That's not a good thing to be known for, amen? And God continued to show mercy and mercy until it reached the point where he said, this can't happen anymore for their own sake. And you read that in the very two first verses that God had said, the Lord delivered them into their hands. And in that as well, I would just even say that of all the places, of all the places to have taken Israel into exile, Babylon was the worst of them all because it wasn't like Israel was this wonderful, holier-than-thou nation and then Babylon was the second holier-than-thou nation. Babylon was a wicked, wicked people. In fact, the easiest way to describe it to me is as if Vegas and New Orleans had a baby. It would be Babylon. Babylon is not a word that you want to be called. Don't name your kids Babylon and don't name them Jezebel. Those are just two things you don't want to do because of what it entails in the Bible. As well, don't name your kid Nebuchadnezzar. I know some of you were thinking about it. And so, actually, one of my leaders got mad at me one time and called me Jeffikanezar. <laughs> so, you get behind me, Satan. So, um, But this is a people that are defined. Actually, when you read the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, when it talks about the end times... It refers to Babylon as the most just wicked people. It is something that is not well looked upon in the Bible. And so 
you have this people led by Nebuchadnezzar, who's one of the most wicked, ruthless leaders in all of human history, leading the charge against God's people. In fact, there were three different times where he came in and took people and took stuff. This was the first one that Daniel was in. But on the third one, he literally burned down God's temple, the place where God's name was. And he murdered people. He starved people to death. He was ruthless. And so you look at this story and you look at how it begins and you, you would think about someone like, yeah, I feel you, kid. It ain't good. And so you think about Daniel as a man living in the promised land and in his life, he then is taken into exile. The word says, the dates, the actual history of it says that Daniel lived in Babylon for 65 years. It's a long time to be out of your homeland, to be out of the place where you came to know God and you feel comfortable. It may have seemed like the end. It may have seemed just, even just right in the first two verses, gives you a full context of the real brokenness, the real hurt that's going on. Now, why is this important? Why is that important to understand? And it's because of this. Because we live in a world that sometimes, and oftentimes more than not, we question, where's God? We live in a world where sometimes you can feel abandoned by God. Amen? Maybe you're in a situation, maybe something's going on in your life where you feel like, I'm just struggling, I have doubts with God. Where is God in my family? Where's God at my school? Where's God amongst my friends? Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you're struggling with the sin in your life, and you're sitting there going, God, why? God, why is this happening? Maybe things haven't turned out the way that you wanted it in a certain area. I know that for my life, there were so many different times where I questioned God. And I said, God, why is this happening? When I had my um, lung disease and things like that, that brought me to Oregon, I questioned God more than ever. God, why did this happen? God, what was going on? But asking those questions doesn't make you farther from God. But asking those questions and wrestling with that is what makes you human. It's what makes you grow in the Lord in that when you bring those things to him. Maybe you've had certain things that you're wrestling with right now and you feel like you're in a season of exile. But one thing I would just let you know, I just want to let you know about this story that's so powerful is this. We read the first two verses of the book. We didn't read the last two. You need to understand that in the midst of the struggle, it was the beginning of the story. Daniel doesn't just say, well, it just went downhill and then they got exiled. The end. No, it's they were exiled and God was just about to start. Now the place was set for God to do a miraculous work in Daniel's life, in the lives of the Israelites, and in Babylon. It's the beginning of the story. See, the theme of the entire book is that God is the king of heaven and earth. Babylon rose and Israel was falling, but David knew, or Daniel knew, that there was more going on than meets the eye. And it's this. When you see this as the first two verses of the entire book, right before God does everything that he did through that story, you realize this. When it seems hopeless for the story of God, it's oftentimes when he's just getting started. God is a God that functions so strong against the ropes in your life. He's incredible. And when you feel powerless in your life, that's often the times that God moves the absolute greatest. Amen? Brian Johnson, who's the pastor at Bethel, says, Consider it a gift when God becomes your only option in your life. 
I like to think of it as, God, you know, I can't get in your way. There's no possible way I could get in your way now. But it's more than that. It's more seeing God work in your life and work through you. And oftentimes when we think the story is over, we say, you know what? I've been praying for this. I've seen this happen. I've seen things play out before me. And it's the end of the story. And now I'm on my own. Could have been easy for someone like Daniel to stand there and go, you know what? It's the end of Israel's story. We're in, we're in exile and I'm on my own now. But let me tell you something. It was just the beginning. It was right where God was about to reveal himself in a whole new way. Maybe God wants to reveal himself in a whole new way in your life. Maybe you're in a place where you feel exiled in a sense in your life and you wonder where God is. And maybe God's ready to reveal a whole new side of him to you of how loving and how faithful he truly is. Amen? I know I want that for my life. Do you guys want that for your life? Absolutely. It's what God wants and has in store for us. See, nations and cultures, they'll come and go, but ultimately God's kingdom and his culture, they remain forever. When you look at the story, when you see God against the ropes, you see that God shows up without any of our help. Amen? How many of you are thankful you're not God? How many of you think you're God, you know, in your life? And you're like, well, God, I need this, and I should do this. And he's like, really? Wow. You're so smart. But I will say this. When all hope seems lost, God's spirit remains. That's the story of the church. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus ascended to heaven and said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit down, and you guys are going to be my church and my strength. You might not know what you're doing, but the Holy Spirit's going to cover you guys. You know what it says? It says in Acts chapter 5 that some of the Pharisees, they were persecuting a couple of the disciples that they brought in. And there was a guy named Gamaliel, which, another name, you don't want to name your kids. Gamaliel, just, I mean, it's weird. Gamaliel dismisses them, and he talks to the Pharisees just by himself, and he says... Guys, let me offer you some wisdom. He says in Acts chapter 5, he says, If God is moving with them, you will not be able to stop them. But if God's not moving with them, they're going to die away. They're going to be done for before you know it. And so he said, you should just let them go. And 2,000 years approximately has passed since that. And what started as a movement with 120 people has now grown to 2.2 billion people today. That's the Holy Spirit at work. You think about all the persecution. You think about everything that has come up against God and His church and His people. And yet, why does it seem like it continues to grow? You know, it's interesting. Um, I love the story of China even over the last couple hundred years. Because in 1949, there was about, um, I want to say, three, about four million Christians in China before they implemented this new law that said... Um, that got rid of all religious freedoms, basically, in a sense, was trying to exterminate Christianity. And the church went, as it's referred to, underground. It was, no, it was something that they had to hide. They imprisoned people. They burned Bibles. They did everything in their power to get rid of Christianity. And that lasted for about 30 to 40 years. But what's so funny is that Christianity didn't die. Christianity nowadays in China is over 100 million. So how does something from 4 million become 100 million when the country tried to stop it? It's because of this. It's because God moves even amidst the most difficult of circumstances. 
Daniel knew that as well for his life. And even though he was in a difficult situation, that was the place where God's spirit moved mightily. Amen? So now Daniel. I want you to think about Daniel for a minute because Daniel isn't just someone who existed, but he's a picture of our own lives as well. He's the kind of person that I say I admire him so much, but I'm so thankful I wasn't in Daniel's shoes. Amen? How many of you like to be exiled for 65 years from home? Probably not. It's a dream. A dream life. But in that, Daniel's a picture of our own lives when things turn sideways. Daniel's a picture of what it's like when the circumstances around us don't seem to be working with what God calls us to do. Daniel's a picture of your your life every day. See, it's interesting because it talks about kingdoms coming and going, but God remains forever, which is the theme of the book. But there's more to that. It's not just a matter of nations coming and going. It's not just that nation and that nation is going to fail. But kingdoms can represent so many things in our own lives. Kingdoms can be beliefs that you have. Kingdoms can be strongholds that you have. Kingdoms can be circumstances that you have. For example... The way you look to people, the way you dress to people, that can be a kingdom all in itself to you because it rules over you. Your social media can be a king to you because it rules over you and it dictates over you and it lords itself over you. How you look to the people around you, the people, your friends at school, that can be a lord in itself. The car you drive can be a lord over you. Your future and where you put your self-worth in, those can all be different kingdoms that you can put your hope and trust in. And what I love about this is it's not just saying that those things are evil in nature necessarily, but it says they're worldly. They're not going to last. You're welcome to put your hope in them, but it's not going to last. Proverbs 11.7 says, Hope placed in mortals die with them. All the promise of their power comes to nothing. Which is so true of Daniel's story that it's a matter of when those things, those things of this world die... Your fashion won't be able to carry you for eternity, you know? Your social media and your value in that won't carry you for eternity, but you know what will is Jesus and his love for you. Jesus' will for your life will carry you on. His love and his covering over you, that will last for thousands of lifetimes and even more, amen? Those are things that last far and beyond. See, it's interesting because Daniel's circumstances took a turn for the worse, and he was put under a pressure like any other by the culture to change. But why? Why does it seem like he only grew stronger when his world began to grow worse? So I want to talk about this morning. There's a pressure, and there was a change that was sideways in his world, but, but Daniel didn't die with the people or the circumstances. He only grew stronger. It's because of where he placed his trust in. It's interesting because when you look at this, if you look at verses 3 through 5, when it talks about Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, he brought them into the king's service. He brought Daniel and his friends. They were chosen, and they were brought in to be a part of the service. But this is what's so fascinating. This is why Babylon is just sly little dogs, okay? Because this, this is a kingdom that grew so fast, and this is why they grew so fast. So they would take over a country, and then they wouldn't take the people in and start whipping them across the back, making them do hard labor and saying, we're going to break your spirit. We're going to work you for 14, 15 hours a day until you follow us. That's not what they did. You want to know what they did? 
We gave him beautiful, fine linen to wear. They said, come to our city. It says that they allowed him to eat at the king's table. They wined and dined them. They said, you're not educated? Great, we'll, we'll educate you in our Babylonian culture. So you're able to read. You're able to write. We're going to make you a better person in our eyes. And you know what people did? They were like, I love Babylon. And they became just a part of it. Now, we live in a culture that's very similar to that as well. We, I mean, not to say that culture doesn't whip us over our back at times, but you live in a culture that competes for your identity at a wine and dine level. It, says, it doesn't just say, you have to be this or you'll be nothing. It says, no, just come, come sit at our table. Come do our things. Come think like we do. See how much you enjoy it. But Daniel... Daniel, instead of taking part in that, what the word says is that he resolved not to, to eat the royal food and wine and that he ate his own food. And what it says is that after those years, he looked stronger and healthier than the others and that they took notice of that. You see, even amidst a culture that tells you, you have to eat this way, you need to look this way in order to matter, Daniel knew where his true identity was. And that food could represent so many things. How many love food in this room? Amen. Well, whether you love it or not, you need it. So, But food represents something even greater in the story. It represents hope. Can you all say hope with me? Hope, hope is something that's so different from knowledge. How many of you know Jesus? How many of you hope in Jesus? See, knowledge is something that's a part of who we are. I know this. I know this. It's a part of who I am. But hope is something where you say, this is where I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. Hope is saying, this is where I'm putting my future into. This is what I'm, I'm looking forward to, even though I can't see it right now. And the truth of the matter is, maybe you're sitting here and you think you're someone that doesn't hope. But the truth of the matter is, we all hope. We all have our hope in something. We're all looking forward to a better something in some way in our lives and in our futures. This is a story about that. This is a story about God being the hope of Daniel, even though everything was falling apart around him. And because of that, he was able to stand firm and have peace and trust God and joy that wasn't from his surroundings. How many of you want peace and joy in your life? How many of you want to know that you're more than enough in in God's eyes. How many of you want to know you're more than enough and in this world, that you're perfect just the way that you are? Well, it starts with putting your hope in Jesus. That's where it begins. That's why Daniel was so different from the people of his day. That's why he didn't lose hope even though Israel fell. And he didn't lose hope even though the culture around him was trying to influence him. God shone his light to him and he shone his light through him. I think that's what Jesus wants to do in each of our lives as well. And so, Maggie, I'm going to just invite you back up for um, the end. I'm going to ask you guys just to close your Bibles with me as well. Something that's so fascinating about the story of Daniel is that it's when he lost everything that God began to do an incredible work in him. How many of you like to be comfortable? I love being comfortable. But let me tell you something. I, I so often pray in my life, God, would you reveal yourself to me? How many of you have ever prayed that God would reveal himself to you? 
or that God would work through you. I'm sure Daniel was one of those people that prayed that all the time. We see his steadfastness and his love towards the Lord, but here's the thing. You can't hide a light under a bowl. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And that what God did was he met Daniel in the darkest place to be the greatest light, not only to him, Daniel could clearly see God work, but so could the people around him. God reveals himself to you and others often at the same time because it's the same light. What I would just say to that is it's interesting because we have no scripture about Daniel before he got in the before he got in Babylon. Why is that? It's not that it didn't matter, but what it means is this. God began his greatest work within Daniel and his friends when they headed into exile. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been praying that prayer, God, would you reveal yourself to me? But at the same time, you feel like you've been put in a place of exile and you're wondering why. Maybe you're here and you just need to renew your hope in the Lord. And so I want us to just close our eyes together because we're going to respond in a lot of different ways this morning. First one is this, just simply, maybe you know Jesus, but your hope isn't in him. Maybe you're here this morning and you know of God. You have all the knowledge about him. Maybe you've made a commitment to Jesus in your life, but something has just changed over time. The worries of life have just kind of clouded in. Maybe anxiety about who you're going to be in this next season has just clouded you. Maybe you're just so nervous about being liked by a certain person that you've made it that your hope. And this morning, you need to return to Jesus because seasons come and go. Those things come and go and they're of the world as good as they are, but God remains forever. And that he's your true identity and he's your true peace in this season. Maybe you're here and you're in a season where you feel like circumstances are tough right now. And you want to see God show up in a major way. Ways that you couldn't even dream or imagine of. And you want to just say that to Jesus. Jesus, I want you to show up and prove yourself faithful in the season. Well, I want to pray with you in that right now want to meet you in that. Maybe you've known the goodness of God. Maybe in a sense you've been like in Israel where you're like, man, this is a great place. I feel comfortable with it. And now it's changed. And now you're, you seem like you're in a foreign land and you're the minority and you're going, what are you doing now, God? And God wants to speak to you. And he says, I'm about to do something great in you and through you. That's you this morning. I want to pray through you because I think God's up to something new in you. Jesus, we love you. We praise you and we trust that you're a God that will always remain forever. God, we know that you meet us in every season. God, we know that you meet us when things rise and fall, nations come and go. Lord, when we're tempted to put our identity in the things of this world, Lord, we recognize that those things are are temporary. And God, that you remain forever. And peace and joy, Lord, and, and rest only comes from hoping in you. So, Lord, we put that in you and we trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Everyone said? Amen.